0: Morning. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the hearts and the souls that are here this morning. I just thank you for your love, your grace, and the bountifulness you've bestowed upon this congregation. The talent we have, the efforts that people put forth. I thank you for bringing us together through the holidays. And I just ask your hand upon those of the congregation especially that deal with people throughout these, this holiday season that you'd watch over each and every one, and I thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn to the book of John. We won't be there very long, and I wanted to preach from God's word, and I wanted to find a portion of scripture that dealt with with Jesus Christ, and... uh, John chapter 1, verse 29 is all the further I could get, and it was the preparation of Jesus Christ's ministry here on this earth, and John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, Mary and Elizabeth were, uh, were re- re- related to one another, and we read about that relationship and their child uh, all being part of the Christmas plan, the prophetic Christmas plan in John chapter 1 and Matthew, first couple of chapters also. And uh, I want to pick it up, and this is all the further I could get in, 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 in inspiring myself for the Christmas story. It's uh, these things done in Barthagia, uh, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, John was baptizing there in Jordan. He was a prophet of the time. He kept himself isolated, he ate insects, and gave his time and life dedication to God. And as you'll see, as they sang this morning, ancient words, he was very well coursed in Scripture. And he did not understand all of Scripture by any means. But he knew what he was talking about, and he knew it was time for a Messiah to come. And that was his burden towards his fellow man was to tell them of a coming Messiah, to change their minds about sacrifice, (laughs) sacrificial offerings for sin, and look to the sacrificial offering of the Heavenly Father as Jesus Christ became that penalty for their sin. And uh, he was putting this all together in his mind. And he sees his cousin approaching. And in verse 29, he said, we'll pick it up. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. Then again, oh, in verse 36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And there's an explanation point about that. And he said it in quite a provocative manner, a uh, stirring manner, uh, a culminating manner. It wasn't just, uh, look, here comes the Lamb of God. I got to watch that word provocative, too. Brother Belcom and I went around and around with that. <laughs> and uh, he was right, of course. But it was in quite a stirring manner he talked about his cousin. Because he realized then, as he baptism of his cousin approached that he was, in fact, the Lamb of God. Now, what was the Lamb of God? Did you ever wonder why he used that statement? Why didn't he say, behold, here comes the Messiah? Behold, here comes the creator of heaven and earth? Why did he say, behold, the Lamb? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to go from Genesis right on to Revelations. We won't be too long in either place. I'll get the little <laughs> clock out here. Genesis chapter 3. We have the story of the fall of mankind and Adam and Eve. And I'm thankful in this day and age and in where I'm at at this time, I don't have to explain Adam and Eve to you, but most of you are familiar with the first man and woman on earth. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats and skins and clothe them. And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life life, and eat it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So we have mentioned here in the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind gives way to a sinful nature, and we see the story unfold of the need for innocent blood to be shed to cover the sins of mankind. That's in verse 21. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. Just go on over a couple of pages. Genesis 22, verse 8. And we see there that there was a... Genesis 22, verse 8. And it says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. We see the story of Abraham taking his son, and uh, commanded by the angels, commanded by God, and uh, was going to sacrifice his son for a burnt offering. The principle of a lamb being killed to cover sin was set forth in Genesis chapter 3, And it was already prominent and publicly practiced in Genesis chapter 22. The need for a lamb to die for mankind. And we see Abraham preparing his son for a sacrifice. And you read in Hebrews chapter 13 about uh, the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, about verse 13. You read about uh, Abraham... (coughs) believing that his son would possibly, if he was in fact killed at his, by his hands, he would be resurrected. So the concept of the Messiah coming, death, uh, innocent blood being shed for mankind's sin, and the resurrection were all set forth way back in the book of Genesis. Nothing new under the sun. This was given to mankind, and as early as Abraham, it was set forth. So there was a lamb involved, innocent blood being shed. The lamb of God was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, and in Genesis chapter 22, it was exemplified. The lamb of God is typified. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats. And that's in uh, Exodus chapter 12, Verses 1 through 7. Let's go over to Exodus. So we're not very far into Scripture and we're reading about lambs already. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year. To you. This is where we have a, a, a conflict with the Hebrew calendar. I firmly believe that Jesus Christ was probably born to this earth about Thanksgiving time. And this is a portion of scripture that explains why our calendar today doesn't completely jive with the Hebrew calendar. And he's, uh, so we have, we have Adam and Eve, we have Abraham, now we have Moses and Aaron, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count. Or the lamb. Notice he didn't say number of individuals, he didn't say man, he didn't say children. It says souls there, because this is taking on a spiritual nature. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male from the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep, out from the goats, or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat. And most of us are familiar with the story from there. They were marked on the side post. The death came across Egypt and took the firstborn of the families and the households except for those that were saved. By the blood, the innocent blood of a lamb shed for them. So we have the concept laid out already. We have the Lamb of God prophesied in Genesis. We have the Lamb of God typified in the sacrifice there in uh, Exodus. And we have the Lamb of God identified in John chapter 1, verse 29. We'll skip over to John real quick. John chapter 1, verse 29 and 36. I read those already, but we'll read them again for one more time. These are the verses. This is the concept. These are the principles that John the Baptist had laid out in his mind that he knew there was going to be someone who was going to be sacrificed, innocent blood, sacrificed for mankind. So when he seen his cousin approaching, this is why he said... Behold the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 and 35 and 30, well, John chapter 1, 35, 36, somewhere in there. Yes, I got it. We read those. Now we see the Lamb of God identified by John the Baptist. Then we see the Lamb of God crucified. Now, you think I'm going to go somewhere else in John? We could go over to John chapter 19, and we'd read all about the Lamb of God being crucified. But that wasn't where it started. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. As we approach this holiday season, my favorite decorations is a manger scene. And uh, we've raised lambs and different forms of livestock. In fact, the dogs we have now, we herded lambs, and there's a big science involved in that. And uh, our nativity scene that we put up in our house has probably 15 different lambs in it. I just like the lambs. But that's part of Christmas. It's part of God coming to this earth to die for us. Lambs were involved. Innocent blood was shed. Lambs are very innocent and pure and simple. You know, you raise lambs. One of my favorite uh, books is The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, written by a shepherd. In relationship to the 23rd Psalm, he talks about the different likenesses between sheep and mankind. And uh, sheep are a very peculiar type of people. (laughs) They, uh, They do not... You can't push sheep, you have to lead sheep. One of my favorite illustrations I use when I talk about sheep and being led is we were taking sheep from one corral to another corral. And uh, there was no fence in between. I had portable panels we could have put up. Would have been a lot of work. I thought, oh, well, I'll just feed them this morning over in the other corral, open up the gates, and they'll totter on over to the other side. They didn't. They stood there and looked at that gate like, what do you expect me to do? (laughs) It's gone, but I'm not going through there. I don't know what's ahead of me. This way God is a lot of times with us. He opens up a gate or a door, and we stand there and look at it, wondering what he wants us to do to follow through. So, You can get in that corral and push them out. And we tried that, and they just flowed out of the corral and ran around in a big circle. These were round pens, they call them, and ran around in a big circle on the outside of the corral, and the first chance they got, they all ran right back in. (laughs) I says, they're not going to go from A to B. Well, my daughter-in-law was there, and she has a soft touch for sheep. And I says, why don't you take in take some feed, because they were hungry. I says, go on in there and feed the sheep and talk to them, but just give them a little bit of food, and then walk from that open gate about 100 feet to the other open gate, the other round pen, and go on in there. She had to do it three times, but by the third time, they just followed her right to the other gate and went into that open corral. And then she promptly shut the gate, and the sheep ate and looked around like, well, what's new? You know, sheep are a very peculiar, different type of animal. If you try to push them, they scatter. If you lead them, they'll follow. You have to lead them properly. And that's one likeness of mankind to sheep. But we see here, we're looking at the likeness of Christ to sheep. And in Isaiah 53, verse 7, the Lamb of God was crucified. Isaiah 53, 7, it says, Ah, but it was wonderful, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed, all we like sheep have gone astray, have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so opened not his mouth. A picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ prophesized, oh, about 800 to 1,400 years before Christ walked the planet. The Lamb of God was crucified. The Lamb of God was the Lamb of God was satisfied. Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. Let's go to the back of the book. I've given you six or five of seven points. We're going to be done here in a few minutes with, uh, because we're in the back of the book. We can't go any further. Revelations nineteen seven says, In the Lamb of God to be satisfied, Revelations 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen of righteousness of the saints. Talking about how when Christ is in heaven, after this world ends and everything's taken care of, how the church will be united with him. The very people he died for, every one of you that have accepted his death on the cross for your sins, will be united for him. And the whole purpose of that sacrificial offering in Christ's embodiment will be satisfied to him. The reason he came and the reason he endured such penalty for our sins and put himself in the position as a sheep before the slaughter was for us to be united with him in heaven. What grounds does he cross? What penalties do you have to do to obtain that? Nothing. All you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and acknowledge that he died in transgression for your sins and look to him as your ticket to heaven. It's not nothing you can earn. It was laid out in God's plan before the foundations of the world. In Revelations chapter 22, 21, verse 9, And there came unto me one of seven angels, which had seven vials of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And it's talking about the church. The church is a very serious thing in God's eyes. In Ephesians chapter 5, he laid down his life and loved the church as men are to love their wives. Ephesians chapter 5. And Jesus Christ wants you to be part of a church, wants you to be part of a local church. That's what he died for. You're uniting together in one body for his life, for his sacrifice. That's well-pleasing to him. The Lamb of God we looked at was prophesied. The Lamb of God was typified. The Lamb of God was identified. The Lamb of God was crucified, Isaiah 53, 7. The Lamb of God was satisfied in Romans 21 and Romans chapter 19, and the Lamb of God, number six, was magnified, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. Revelations chapter 5, verse 12. Go to there and take a, look, a little look at it. I like to read the back of the book once in a while, especially when, uh, when it looks the bleakest. And in chapter 5, verse 12, it gives us a peek at the back of the book, at the ends of the times, at when we'll be united with Christ. And in 5, 12, it says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, who was slain to receive power and riches. He's satisfied. He's glorified. He's typified. He's exemplified. He's identified. He's prophesied. He's crucified for each one of us. It's not anything that's going to be overlooked by the heavenly Father. He's there for our glory and for mankind's well-being. Let's go to the last point in Revelations. We're going towards the back of the book. Look at five thirteen through fourteen. I'll read five five through fourteen, I believe. Let's look at Revelations five five. And one of the elders unto me wept. Weep saith unto me, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And we read about that in Christ's preparation for this world, the fact that he had to be a descendant of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes which are seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book of the right hand and of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of orders, which are the prayers of the saints."